with the plastic bag ban, that took Mayor Adams to really push forward. With a lot of residents giving support to that action, it's multifaceted. There's the policy aspect that I may be working on, Mm -hmm. the leadership aspect that would come from an elected official. So there's a range of steps that need all need to come into place, but they make a difference. From the studios of Kink Radio, it's the Portland 50, a podcast series about the people who dreamt, built, and championed the innovation, growth, and uniqueness of Portland. The Portland 50 series is brought to you by Jaguar Land Rover Portland. One company, two iconic brands. Jaguar Land Rover Portland is a Don Rasmussen company the legendary Portland institution, serving our community since 1950. I'm your host, Peggy LaPointe. Today, I talk with Bruce Walker, the Solid Waste and Recycling Program Manager at the City of Portland's Bureau of Planning and Sustainability. Back in the early 70s, the beginning Earth Day and all that's right about Kink's mm-hmm. uh, uh, beginning right. is the... Portland Recycling Team was started right over on the Portland State University campus. So I knew some of the founders of that, Jerry Powell and others, who got involved and really started the depot where residents would bring in their glass cans and paper for recycling. And since then, there's been an incredible movement towards delivering those services to the household and and really expanding the amount of materials we collect. I was going to say that's, that has had to have increased considerably, the amount of materials collected from uh, homes, making it more convenient for people to just put it at their curbside. When we started our curbside program in Portland, that was in 1992, where we delivered the yellow bins to all the households. There were many people who were way ahead of the curve who were saying, city, pick up the pace. You should have this service. Other cities do that. And then there were others who were really wondering, well, is this the right thing? Or I I haven't done this before. But the delivery of a convenient service with clear messaging about what to put out for recycling made a world of difference. And it was an avalanche of materials that came in comparing it to just a depot collection program. And I want to go back because you are the um, solid waste and recycling program manager here with the city and have been with the city for 30 years. But uh, this isn't just a job that you stumbled into. This is something that, you know, we talked about before the microphones went on, high school, college, and then right out of college. Well, and it comes to me, I, I don't want to sound too grandiose, but my my ancestors met Lewis and Clark. They're part of the Clatsop tribe, Chinook Nation. And so it, it's part of that look at saying, gosh, we can, let, let's take care of the earth. Mm-hmm. And the and initial Earth Day was when I was in high school. I got involved in environmental group uh, when I went to U of O, mm-hmm. uh, got involved and led the student environmental group, the survival center. And so there, there are a whole range of issues. Recycling is the one that was really, to me, stood out because it maybe because it was so tangible and it was something that everybody could relate to, that we were able to take some steps, start some programs, 
like you mentioned, I, I've worked in Eugene, over on the coast in Newport, and then coming to Portland and have really appreciated the opportunities I've had to work with people not only in the industry, but so many customers here have expressed interest, desire to kind of push the envelope, do more, or should we say do less? <laughs> exactly. And it is a tangible thing. I and mean, people can see what when they're putting their items in the uh, recycling bin, they can see what they're doing. And it's it, it has to feel like ownership that they can make an impact, whereas some of the issues are much bigger. And uh, oftentimes we feel like my actions aren't doing anything, but this is something that they can do easily every day. Oh, right. I, I mean, that is, that's the key. It, and it's, it's not just the recycling, and that's critical, but there's also, do I need that in the first place? Right. Is there a way I could get that same item if I really need it without as much packaging? Those, those are challenging issues for anyone, but just that thought process. When I go to maybe step out to get a coffee, could I take that reusable mug instead of getting that disposable cup mm-hmm. that needs to be thrown away? Yeah, and that's a conversation that in my other life at Metro, when I'm answering calls, I'm having those conversations with people on a regular basis, especially with what's going on with the plastics market. And the conversation is, is there an alternative to what you're buying that doesn't have as much packaging? Oregon and Portland have a reputation as being quite green. Oregon legislature mandated every community set up a recycling system in the early 80s, and then it was a few years later that Portland required all garbage and recycling companies to get on board and offer this for customers. From what you know, was that an easy, I mean, easy launch, or was it a lot of challenges to get people on board? Probably a little bit of both. There, there are many challenges, but one of the foundational elements of recycling in the state of Oregon that I think makes it easier, so I'm going to step back yeah, and answer your absolutely. question, is to say in 1971, the state legislature adopted the nation's first bottle bill. Mm-hmm. So people could see a carbonated beverage that needs to be taken back in aluminum can or glass bottle at that time, take it back and get it recycled. So it made intuitive sense. Many people understood that. And now as we expand those materials, so why is this glass bottle going back and it gets recycled? Why can't we recycle other glass containers? Why can't we recycle other metal containers? And then, of course, as more plastics, uh, as more beverages got packaged in plastic, those bottles are highly recyclable. And Mm -hmm. more recent adjustments to the bottle bill have put water bottles uh, and some of the sports drinks, other juices into the container deposit system. It provides, I, I think that's an understanding that people got, these things are recycled. And so now when we're delivering the message, providing the services to homes, there's that basic level of understanding that many other states still don't have. So that's one element. Then delivering the service, there, there are challenges with it. There's new trucks needed. There's, there was distribution of all the yellow bins at that right. time. And more recently, we distributed the uh, 
recycling roll carts, Mm -hmm. the blue carts to customers to place their recyclables. So there's that element, just the service delivery. But then what you're raising about your role at Metro, mine at the city, and then cities throughout the state of Oregon or throughout the country with recycling programs, how do we communicate what residents are supposed to do to put those materials in the right materials in in the cart? (laughs) That brings up an interesting question that just popped into my mind. And I'm sure other people think are, are wondering this as well. We get so many people moving into Portland, and when I'm answering calls at Metro, uh, I often hear, well, this is what we did in California. This is what we did in Washington, that sort of thing. I think it's frustrating for folks who are moving into new communities to have such different regulations, different rules. Why isn't there a, a nationwide system? There are, first of all, you, you look at, compare our country yeah. with some of the, those in, the, uh, in Europe where there is more national Consistent. governmental control. There are programs that really mandate more ma- manufacturer responsibility mm-hmm. o- over in Europe, meaning the companies that make these products have to assure that they're going to be able to be recovered and recycled. There's not that national control in the U.S. I don't foresee it coming out of Washington in, the, in this current administration. But there hasn't been in any prior administration right. either a strong leadership role to require curbside programs throughout the country. There's still cities that don't have that in the Midwest in particular. So I don't want to dwell on that, but there, there hasn't been the national leadership. And some of the benefits are that it's allowed some creativity. There's not mm-hmm. a lock-stop program throughout for curbside programs. You we, can fit it to the community. Right. right. So some of the questions you may receive are, why can't I recycle some of these items? Well, I think some cities are expanded the elements of some of their, particularly plastic recycling, some of the to-go items, mm-hmm. the plastic takeout clamshell container or plastic cups, for example, or even paper coffee cups. But where are those really going and are they even being able to recycle? We take we took a really strong look at that to make sure there'd be a market for those materials. Manufacturers need materials and use the materials we collect in our program. A steady market. Yeah, to be able to make new products. Mm-hmm. And I question the viability of some of those items that are collected in other cities. But that's not to sound too critical mm-hmm. of them because they're trying to keep more out of the landfill. It's a landfill-focused program. Mm-hmm. Let's divert this from the landfill. And I think we it's really beneficial to focus on, well, what can manufacturers use? And then how do we really get them more engaged in our program saying, if you're making it as a manufacturer, then let's help get that recycled. As you mentioned, each community can be more creative and tailor what they're doing to their community. And Portland has certainly done that, particularly with the food, Portland Compost and the food recovery program that was put into place 
2000 and late 2011. Yeah, there we go. There was some grumbling at first, but it's been really successful. And other communities, I mean, Milwaukee, Lake Oswego, Forest Grove, Beaverton have all signed on. And so it has certainly expanded in the last seven years. Tell me about the thought process, the planning, the whose idea was it? And how do you, how do you implement something like that? These are big programs that you are, have a part in implementing. Right. We don't want to pretend like we invented no. a residential food scrap, recycling, or composting. San Francisco was the first big city out of the gate, um, and we can look north to Washington's capital, Olympia. Mm-hmm. They, they had an every-other-week collection program. So we took a look at the opportunity to, one, recover food scraps and to make it into a useful product. Yeah. They, put it into compost. If we put it in a landfill, it's going to generate more methane, a, a very high climate impact. Uh, CO2-related gas that we wanted to instead give residents the opportunity to recover that material. To do that, we had an opportunity because our yard debris collection program was every other week. Mm -hmm. We made that weekly. And so that boosted the collection opportunity. We said, put the food scraps in. And then to keep a lid on the rates, one, meaning that there's more collection costs with moving to a weekly program. But we moved the garbage to every other week that provided an incentive for people to say, oh, if I want to get that material off my property Quickly. on a weekly basis, mm-hmm. I've got to put it in the green cart, right. the compost cart. Yeah. So that's the genesis of thought. We ran a, a pilot program for over a year yeah. to test out how it worked, resident satisfaction, as well as what are some of the messages that are needed. And we, we made some adjustments based on what we found in that pilot. And we're very pleased at the, the response of Portland residents in terms of getting the food scraps yeah. into the compost cart. And it is, a, it is a rich, valuable material. I've been out to Nature's Needs and watching them turn the compost. And the finished product is, is highly coveted. <laughs> Right. Uh, by farmers and 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 so and actually residents as well. Right. So let's let's not bury these food scraps, which are counterintuitive to the messaging from generations ago mm-hmm. of get it out of my household and get it into a landfill. Right. Instead, let's make it into a valuable soil amendment, and that's worked very well. As you mentioned, other cities in this region have adopted residential food scraps. And I'm aware that City of Eugene as well. So City of Salem is also on board. I think the whole I-5 corridor is going to have these programs, a similar program over the next several years, be a, a positive for people to contribute. You were instrumental in the pay as you go system as far as garbage collection and recycling collection. And that has to do with, so if you uh, generate a small amount of garbage, you can get a smaller can, you pay less, you know, and so forth, larger amount of garbage, bigger garbage can, and you pay more. I'd love to hear the story behind putting that together. Right. When we took a look at that in the formation of the program, we really wanted to make sure that people not only had 
opportunities to recycle. Mm -hmm. Okay, we've given them the new recycling bins, but here's a way to really help maintain a a lid on the costs of a, a program. That if you actually throw away less in the garbage can, then it's reflected in your bill. Granted, it may not be a substantial amount. There is some financial savings if you can reduce the size of garbage cart that you're using. And that system, I think, has worked very well for residents because they they can see that their actions provide some financial benefit, Mm -hmm. but also we're, we're trying to not make it too expensive you know, if you really do have, say, a larger family right. or more people living in the household, right. that if you need a larger cart, we'll get that and and take advantage of it. But for smaller households, for someone living by themselves, they're not going to generate much, and they can go to once a month or, you know, right. on call right. even. You right. know, have it picked up every other month, which is nice. You know, my mom lives in the Midwest. It takes her a couple months to fill up a garbage can. She doesn't have that available to her. She has, you know, every week. And so it's a nice service that you can tailor it to your own family. The program you've just described, it, in many instances, it's included in the tax base. Mm-hmm. And so that means there's really no incentives. Recycling services I see when I talk to colleagues in other parts of the country, those are the programs that go on the chopping block in yeah. tight budgets. And instead, we've managed it through a private haulers providing mm-hmm. those services. Our office, Bureau of Planning and Sustainability, oversees that in Portland, mm-hmm. as do other local governments throughout the state of Oregon. And you must work with other local governments to come up with, well, help generate ideas, help assist them, because Portland is further along in some areas. So help provide them, particularly the cities around the area, with jump-starting their compost, the curbside compost, food composting, and and other sort of programs. Sure. We work very collaboratively here in the Portland metro area. And metro, the regional government, does an excellent job doing some of the waste reduction planning. Mm -hmm. And I feel like you've said we can help, Portland can help, Yes, we can on the food scraps, but by no means do we have a, a, a corner on the creative edge. There are many creative ideas that uh, come out of the other cities and counties in the region. It, there, there is, a, I, I believe, strong support from residents and businesses throughout this region. Every opportunity that we hear feedback is usually it's very positive. And it's, there's not just a corner on it in Portland. Do you think it's unique to the Pacific Northwest, that sort of mindset? I, I think there is a much uh, stronger belief. So, yes. Mm-hmm. And that sometimes I see that in other parts of the country that my colleagues who are similarly committed in other areas, but they, they have more of an uphill struggle right. with their, say, city councils or some of the uh, the residents yeah. really wanting to get on board. And that's unfortunate because I, I really think it's a, getting back to the beginning, it's a tangible step that people can take and, and have a very beneficial action yeah. when, whether it's a, a paper mill or a glass plant, 
that makes new glass bottles, like the one out by the airport right. owns Illinois, right here in Portland. That's where the glass goes from the state of Oregon. Let's get those bottles and get them back out there. Yeah, and, and it provides providing jobs as well. Right. In 1999, or 89, I was working at a restaurant. It was a deli, and that was when Portland banned styrofoam. And I remember thinking, oh, this is fantastic. Were you instrumental in that? Were you helping that move along? How, I know it, it was a city council had to adopt it, but did you play any role in helping push that forward? I did. I was fortunate to be involved, but let's give credit where credit's due. Yeah. There were many supporters in the community, including Gene Roy of the yes. Earth Institute yep. now, who was very active. But our now congressman, Earl Blumenauer, mm-hmm. then city council member really pushed hard and the plastics industry was saying, oh, it's recyclable. Oh, we can do this. We can do that, which they didn't do. However, it became really frustrating because we wanted to see some actual reduction or why is all this styrofoam being made and being disposed of? There was no system to get it collected. It's it's very difficult to recycle that material. It breaks apart. And anyway, I had the good fortune to be able to work directly on that issue. It was very challenging because mm-hmm. we got sued in court and there were a number of national firms that showed up here. They lost that suit. And our styrofoam ban has been in place. At the same time, throughout the country, what was going on is there was a real look by some of the takeout food companies, including the largest ones, that moved away from those styrofoam clamshells that held their large hamburgers <laughs> and that sort of thing. Right. So there was some serendipity around that timing that as we made the ban, the fast food industry was realizing that their image Mm-hmm. didn't want to be associated with this disposable and really the image of that styrofoam was not desired. It's not a good packaging for food. That's right. We'll put it that way. You're listening to King's Portland 50 series. I'll continue my conversation with Bruce Walker in a moment, but I wanted to thank our sponsor. The Portland 50 series is presented by Jaguar Land Rover Portland. One company, two iconic brands. Jaguar Land Rover Portland is a Don Rasmussen company, the legendary Portland institution serving our community since 1950. Now back to my conversation with Bruce Walker, the Solid Waste and Recycling Program Manager at the City of Portland's Bureau of Planning and Sustainability. You talked about the grassroots efforts. The All of these, well not all of these, but many of these things, the plastic bag ban, the styrofoam ban, possibly a straw ban, all of these take grassroots efforts. Mm-hmm. Do these things tend to start from the grassroots level or or are they getting, you know, you mentioned Congressman Blumenauer, are they coming from within the city? It's got to be different for each one, but how do these things come together? They take years, they take a lot of work, but how do these things come together effectively? Because there's, I'm sure there's lots of folks out there who are trying to do many different things within the environment. Some succeed, some take longer to succeed, and some succeed pretty quickly. But what have you seen that have led to successful movement? Having residents and 
residents and businesses who mm-hmm. believe in making change contact elected representatives mm-hmm. is always has an opportunity for success. And when it's coordinated with a clear message, mm-hmm. such as the plastic bag ban, that can be very powerful. Yeah. There's leadership that's involved. I mentioned Commissioner Blumenauer, mm-hmm. now U.S. Representative mm-hmm. Congressman Blumenauer, took the leadership and really fought through a lot of industry opposition. Mm-hmm. With the plastic bag ban, that took Mayor Adams to really push forward. With a lot of residents giving support to that action, it's multifaceted. There's the policy aspect that I may be working on, Mm -hmm. the leadership aspect that would come from an elected official. So there's a range of steps that need all need to come into place, but they make a difference. Mm -hmm. When we take a look at one of the challenges in recycling today is we've never wanted plastic bags, never wanted them in our curbside program. The biggest difference throughout this region, a comprehensive sort of all the materials that went in there, the fewest plastic bags were found in the carts out of Portland. Mm -hmm. Well, why is that? Because there's a ban in place. I believe it should be wider. I don't work in those other jurisdictions. I believe it should be a statewide ban. Yeah, well, they cause issues in the bins when they go to the sorting facility and jam up the equipment, and then they have to stop the, you know, it it takes a lot of manpower to deal with plastic bags. That's Uh, right. And I'm advocating for residents, when you go shopping, is to take a reusable bag to the store. But if you were to use a paper bag, those bags are made in mills in the state of Oregon. Mm -hmm. So it's a full life cycle here. It's made in Oregon. If a store were to hand them to a customer, then they can recycle it and it will get made into another bag or back into a box in the state of Oregon. And when those are recycled, it uses less water, Mm -hmm. it uses less energy, uses less natural resources to make the... So it's a win all the way around. Why are we still using plastic single-use takeout bags? Exactly. You've been with the city of Portland for 30 years. What have been your favorite projects, initiatives, or what have you, that you've worked on? People may think, wow, 30 years on the same (laughs) job. Well, it's never been the same job. It's always been evolving. When I started, we didn't have an effective curbside program. It was very spotty. Mm -hmm. We coordinated it launched a citywide curbside program in 1992. That took a tremendous lift to get that on board. I'm very proud of that, but as we've talked about, we've changed that over time. Mm -hmm. It's not static. We provided the roll carts that expanded the ability to recycle more materials. Mm -hmm. That was about 10 years ago. We also, at that time, added the food scraps that we've touched on here. So big changes in the programs that are being delivered to the resident at home. But there's also the what's next. Mm-hmm. It, it's never going to be the same. And my job hasn't been like that. So while it can be stressful at times, <laughs> it, there's also that excitement. Yeah. How can we improve services to make sure that all our residents, including multifamily properties, get some better 
recycling service right. that we can communicate more effectively with tenants in apartment complexes. While all the apartment complexes in Portland have recycling services, it can be better. And yeah. we are going to work on that. So there's always that next effort to be working on. Yeah. So you've asked me to reflect, and I'm talking about the collection programs. Mm-hmm. But what about those don't buy it in the first place messaging? Mm-hmm. And I really think that's going to be some of the excitement going forward that we look at how do we not only avoid the packaging is one element that a customer can take advantage of, but there are creative programs like repair cafes that that are super exciting. And I'm not the greatest handyman, (laughs) but I had a broken zipper on my cycling jacket and I took it into a repair cafe. It gets Oh, I can use that. You know, it's <laughs> yeah. It's much that jacket's much more effective with, with the zipper working. And very simple. Yeah. But how do we repair goods? How do we reuse more goods? Bring in the reusable mug. That shift in thinking away from buy, buy, buy. Always a new item. Right. Well, the shift back to repairing what you have. This yes. is what our grandparents did. Right. My grandmother darning socks, yeah. you know, and my mom fixing things. And you just reminded me I still have to fix a zipper on my husband's bike jacket. So thank <laughs> you for that. <laughs> Those are hard. Uh, the repair cafes, though, are fantastic. One thing that you mentioned, and this was this is something that has been a reoccurring call every once in a while from somebody who lives in one of these multifamily units. We have so many people coming to Portland every day. And that has got to be a challenge to get that message out, going back to curbside, about what goes in the bin uh, and what stays out of the bin. I saw a statistic. Multifamily buildings represent about a third of the city's housing stock. That's huge. certainly is. And this is going to be a challenge, I would imagine, for many years moving forward, is how how does the city, how can the city's partners consistently give that message to to these folks who live in these multifamily units. We work very closely right now with multifamily property owners, mm-hmm. the service providers, the haulers who deliver services. That's not enough. We we have signage that we put up that we're trying to get away from too many words on the side because there are many different languages being and spoken. Pictures help. Yeah. Pictures help. But still, there are some improvements that need to be made in some of the multifamily complexes where services could be improved. Mm -hmm. And then how do we link in with different communities that are living in the multifamily properties? How do we communicate effectively? I don't want to pretend to be an expert in that, but we are really looking to work more with community groups to deliver messages when people call into our office and are, for example, speaking a different language, we can translate uh, using a language line. Yeah. So we're really trying to connect with people where they are and to help better understand our system, which can be confusing because they haven't worked in the field. Right. And, and 
don't want to. Right. So, and there's nothing wrong with that, of course. Right. They yeah. have, you know, they have their, their lives. They have, you know, other things going on. And oftentimes it, it's not on their radar. And, you know, there's not one answer. There's not two. There's got to be hundreds of different ways to reach those. And that's got to be probably the biggest, one of the biggest challenges you're facing right now. It is, yeah. and we realize that there people are coming from many places. Lives are super busy, mm-hmm. so our job is we're trying to communicate more effectively, but also deliver a convenient service, but to make sure that what we're collecting are items that can be recycled. Right. We get a lot of calls at Metro about with multifamily units about composting, and I read something that you said about the challenges with that. I can't say it any better. So if you can explain to everyone listening why this is such a challenge, and it goes along with what we were just talking about as far as communication goes. Well, with composting is not a required service in multifamily properties right now. There are some properties that have that service offered to them. So right. why is that? What's the difference? Why, why don't you just mandated. Mm-hmm. Well, there needs to be clear communication and sometimes there's real confusion about all the food scraps, what can go in. And we want all the food scraps, but sometimes people are putting containers and other items in and w- we really need to work to keep a clean compost stream. Now, some property owners, the managers, mm-hmm. have accepted that responsibility and really have worked with tenants and a lot of it's tenant-driven and right. saying, we'll work and manage this program. But if the wrong materials are put in there, it could backfire in a big way. And we don't want to push out a program mm-hmm. that maybe is extending too far in terms of a requirement. Right. But any multifamily property that is seeking that service, we can arrange to make that happen with their hauler. But it the key is going to be communication with those residents in the multifamily to put the the food scraps in there and not have a a jumbled mess of plastic bags of garbage and Mm -hmm. that sort of thing. Well, and when the compost is coming in, it's not coming in on a line like the recycling material where you have folks on a conveyor at standing at a conveyor belt picking out things that don't belong. You don't have that with comp, you know, the compost coming in. So you can't stop those things from going into the piles that will get turned and, you know, plastic doesn't break down. Right. So that is a huge challenge in order to get that going. But, yeah, I did see that there were over uh, 1,200 restaurants, grocery stores, caterers, and uh, some multifamily units who were participating in that, and that's fantastic. And that's going to be an area of growth, particularly Mm -hmm. in the businesses, the large food-generating businesses. We're working with Metro and with other local governments in the region to expand the program. Now, that means grocers, many of them already are recovering their food scraps that they generate, large restaurants, but they're going to be brought into the program over the next several years where we will further increase food scraps being brought in and put to a productive use. Are you finding that a lot of them are pretty excited about it? They're seeing the benefits of it and that sort of thing? To many of them, it's it's really natural. They right. they jumped on board years ago. Like you mentioned, we have 
over 1,200 in the city of Portland who are on board. It, it's part of Embracing their day, day-to-day yeah. practices. Think in the back of a restaurant when they're preparing food. There's a lot of trim of that food. Yep. That, and then afterwards, the plate scrapings. That's being handled by restaurant employees already. Why yeah. put it in the garbage when it can be easily diverted into a, another cart for recovery? And many are already on board and have been for a number of years. That's a good step. Yeah, that makes a difference. It does. And that is a huge area of growth. Besides the multifamily units, what are the other challenges that, that you're facing now or that you see coming in the future? Well, I think one of the biggest is what are the new products that we see coming in to the, the stream? Right. And people's desire is in the right place. Mm-hmm. I want to recycle. Yep. I'd rather recycle this item rather than throw it away. There are some items that say the, the pouches that contain food and other products, those have some environmental benefits. And, well, why is that? Because there's less of that material. There's actually less packaging right. than there are in some more traditional packaging. But right now, that's not able to be recycled. It's not able to be put in a cart for recycling or to be sorted for recycling. So how are we going to deal with those? And I really think there needs to be a more comprehensive approach that would bring manufacturers who are making these products into part of the solution. Part of the conversation. Right. Now, if you think about it, we've already got a bottle bill. Mm-hmm. The beverage distributors are responsible for taking back those bottles and cans and getting those recycled. If you think about the Oregon eCycles program, mm-hmm. if your old computer, your laptop. Printer. Yeah, printers, yeah. all those items, those can be dropped off at no charge. Well, how is that a free drop-off? It's because the manufacturers who've made and sold those products are responsible for it. Why don't we bring that in a greater step into the field of recycling of kind of regular packaging? Right. There are models that use that. British Columbia has a really comprehensive program along Mm -hmm. those lines that it really infuses the if you will, the link between manufacturer, resident, mm-hmm. collection program, and ultimately back to the manufacturer. Right, full circle again. Right, so that we don't have some of these orphan materials that, gosh, they're great. It's it's the brand new package. It's Look convenient. at this. And then where does it need to go? Right. It needs to go right now in the garbage. And people shouldn't feel guilty about throwing that away because it does not belong in the blue cart. However, people want to recycle more, and that's a good thing. So how do we put those pieces together? And I think it needs more coordination at a minimum at the state level. You asked earlier about what about a national level? And again, that would be a a sea change shift for this country Mm -hmm. to make those changes. But I I think it's long overdue. I think so too. And and we talked about how many countries in Europe are embracing those types of things. The other, I mean, they don't have a lot of landfill space. They don't have a lot of a way for throwing it away. You know, there's no way there. And so they've been forced, their hand has been forced. 
to make these changes. And in the United States, we don't have a problem in some parts of the country with landfill space. And so it's easier at this point, at, at that high level, to just say, well, we don't have to think about this yet. I wish we were there, <laughs> but we're not even close. What do you see as far as the future of recycling? You think more manufacturers stepping in and taking responsibility. Is there a feeling from the manufacturers that they, some of them might be on board with that? Oh, I definitely think so yeah. in that there are manufacturers that are looking for clean streams of materials to make new products. Yeah. So they are, for decades, the paper industry, for example, is made new paper products out of boxes and papers that residents and businesses uh, have put through the recycling system. Mm -hmm. Glass bottles, another example. Metals, yeah. another example. And plastics to a more limited degree. But we're seeing now restrictions on where materials can be shipped. It's fascinating to me that materials can be shipped overseas to manufacturers who want to make new products. China's made some restrictions of what they will accept, and I won't go into a ton of detail on that, but what that does is it's, it's caused some problems without question mm -hmm. in this country with oversupply. But that oversupply can be a supply for industries, manufacturers to look and to diversify, make some of their products make more domestically, which right. will have some longer-term benefits. More opportunities. Right. Here in the state and in the country, around right. the country? Right, yeah. right. And we're feeling it, the effects of China's restrictions more acutely on the West Coast. However, I think as manufacturers look for some of this supply, it's going to happen up and down this coast and other parts of the U.S., I read more about that recently. And while it requires a lot of financing capital to make some of these changes, it appears that there are, are going to be those investments in some of the changes that would be very positive. There's the will, the will to do it. Yeah. What would you like to see next in Portland or the region when it comes to any part of your field? Well, I'm going to leave it wide open because I don't want to narrow it too much. I might miss an opportunity. <laughs> to me, I've always tried to focus on the service delivery. We've talked about some improvements, particularly in multifamily, expanding food scraps collection in the business. So there's that emphasis on an equitable delivery of service, mm -hmm. reaching out to more people in our community more effectively. And that's one element, mm -hmm. but I can never be restricted I know. to just one. <laughs> the, the other would really be, is there a way to do less, to be more efficient with our uses, to reuse more materials, right. to be more creative with our uses, that we don't always have to buy more, more, more. That element, how do we infuse that to have a prosperous, healthy, economically vital system here that residents live that life here right. in Portland. How do we make it sexy? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or something like something that. Something like yeah. that. Yeah. Well, thank you, Bruce, for coming in today. I appreciate well, it. There, you got something more? Well, well, there's one other thing. Yeah. I want to link back to. So <laughs> I may hold on to some things <laughs> for way too long, but 
I participated as a high schooler listening to this kink, the underground link. <laughs> and I participated in a listener survey. Yeah. And of course, that wasn't electronic back no. then. So the, I, I got some mail to my house. Oh, what are the artists that you like that you want us to play on our kink? Stereo. Oh, wow. <laughs> so I've got this bumper sticker that I, I kept for all these years, this bright neon orange, the underground link. So I've, I've had it and I brought it into the studio today. It's pretty cool. It's, it speaks to the messaging that we were listening to then. It wasn't called alternative music. It was very alternative to the alternative yeah. lifestyle right. and recycling was looked at as being very alternative back then now it's come to every household and every resident every business so there's good things that have changed over the arc of time and kink is right there well i won't take that bumper sticker from you i got at least a photo of it but that's pretty darn cool <laughs> i love it thank okay. you bruce thank you <laughs> thank you for joining me for my conversation with bruce walker if you've missed any of the previous podcasts, you can find them at our website at kink.fm. Be sure to like and subscribe to the Portland 50 podcast wherever you're listening. The Portland 50 is a podcast series celebrating Kink's 50th anniversary, and it's about the people who dreamt, built, and championed the innovation, growth, and uniqueness of Portland. The series is presented by Jaguar Land Rover Portland, one company, two iconic brands. Jaguar Land Rover Portland is a Don Rasmussen company, the legendary Portland institution, serving our community since 1950.